Hello, welcome to Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams, a podcast exploring the lives and minds of theatre practitioners in and around the New Zealand performing arts industry. I'm your host, James Shearer. A bit of housekeeping before we get started, so obviously if you're following along with the podcast, I haven't uploaded an episode for about nine months, and that is mainly due to the fact that I started a new job and just really didn't have the brain space to be creating a podcast. But I have been wanting to get back into the podcast for a while now, and this is me getting back into it. So with that being said, this episode was recorded in December of last year, December of 2020, and it is now August 2021. So there will be parts of this interview that are kind of relevant to the time that it was recorded. Uh, So for example, Christian was playing Frankie Valley at the time at the Court Theatre, which he's obviously not doing anymore because the show's ended. So there are parts of the interview where we talk about that and other things that were relevant at the time but aren't anymore. Most of the interview is kind of timeless, you could say. Um, So just keep in mind that some of the interview will not be relevant anymore. So with the housekeeping out of the way, today, as I alluded to earlier, I am joined by Christian Lavikum. Christian's probably most well known for holding the world record for most performances in the Rocky Horror Show at around 1,800 performances and counting. Listen in to hear how an introvert can become one of the biggest characters in theatre history. We get a glimpse into what it's like to play a freak of nature in Frankie Valley. And of course, Christian recounts his experiences touring with Rocky creator himself, Richard O'Brien. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, enjoy a conversation with Christian on Broadway and other Kiwi dreams. The first quest or the first two questions actually i've i've lumped two questions together because i have a feeling the answer might be the same for both questions okay yep. so yep. the questions are um what is your favorite musical and what is your dream role to play that you haven't played already well if you had done your research <laughs> then normally because in the past i've always said that it um well in recent years anyway it would be hedwig mm-hmm in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And I almost had the opportunity last year and then I had to pull out of a production. Yeah, so I've always said that. But do you know what? I, I think I might have done my dash with it now. Really? I think it's time to move on to other things. I I recorded a number from it on my YouTube maybe a couple of years ago. And I think that gave me enough of a taste so that I can move along now. And, uh, you know, obviously there's been a bit of controversy with Hedwig in Australia recently. I think maybe it's just not the right time, but I, you know, ask ask me that a few years ago and I would have been, that is the role for me. I'm completely suited to it, but uh, I'm not so sure anymore. But, you know. So do you have a new one? I don't necessarily have a new one at the moment. I still have lots of old ones that I go, oh, I'd love to play that, or I'd love to do that. Mm. I'd love to do the MC in Cabaret. Mm-hmm. Which is when you've recorded as well for your Yeah, YouTube. I have, yeah. I, I think I started recording things that I um, thought I might never get round to playing mm. or might never get the opportunity to play. So I was like, well, let's get out of my system by just, you know, doing a little s- couple of songs from it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it works. 
I think it works. So anybody, <laughs> just record the song and then you're done. You don't need to do the job. Oh. Yeah, great advice. But also part of the reason I, st- well, I started off with, um, you know, good ideas of going, oh, I'm going to do this song and this song and this song and this song. But, you know, you just get so busy that after a while I go, oh, I actually haven't done any songs for about a year. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel as well and I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah, when because I've been doing a riffraff for such a long time, it's hard for people who've only seen you do that to imagine you doing anything else. Mm-hmm. And before I did riffraff, I did lots of different roles. But, you know, my, I think thought of my main attribute as a performer was being a versatile actor, yeah. you know, and doing lots of different types of roles. But then, mm-hmm. you know, when you become just associated with one role for such a long time, then it's hard for you to even remember that you can do other things. Like at the moment I'm doing yeah. Jersey Boys, which has been so different from Rocky Horror. It couldn't be more different really that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's great for me to do something like that because it reminds me of those things that I don't get to do in Rocky Horror. And it, it just makes it, I think it wipes the slate clean for me. So if I go, if I go back to Rocky Horror, then, you know, it's like I'm starting from fresh again. Yeah. And it's more, you've mentioned before about like you when you look in the mirror, you only see riffraff most of the time. Totally. Whereas Frankie Valley is much more you. Look, it is, it is much more me, you're right. Yeah, like I, mm. I, although I don't necessarily, I'm not the first person you would look at and go, oh, that's a character actor. I kind of classify myself as a character actor. Mm. In my head, that's what I am. So I like to, when, I, when I'm in a role normally, I like to look in the mirror and not see myself. So, yeah, so when I look in the mirror as riffraff, I don't see myself at all. In, and I think when I come to stage door after the show, most people have would have no idea that I was the person who played that role. Yeah. Because they just there's no, rec- there's no recognizing me at all from that character. Mm. And it, it takes a, a lot of work to, to do that, to, to make yourself change. But I, I really enjoy it. I think it's the part I mm. enjoy the most. I enjoy the transformation the most. But when you know when you're I mean when as yourself you don't really look in the mirror that often during your everyday life, like you know you might get up in the morning and sort of look in the mirror and maybe as you're washing your hands you know, it's but yeah but you know if you're in a character and you know if you're doing eight shows a week, then you know I spend a good hour, you know during the show looking at my at myself in the mirror while I'm putting on the makeup and putting on the wig and putting on all that, all that other stuff mm-hmm. and then during the show checking that it's all still there and stuff like that so I spend if when I'm in the show I spend so much more time looking at myself so my brain recognizes that as myself yeah he has quite a weird weird thing yes. and you know slowly you know I slowly I'm probably turning into riffraff not at the moment yeah, <laughs> you'd hope not with Frankie Valley. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, Frankie Valley is, you know, giving me a bit of a reprieve from um, turning into a, um, a horrified or a horror character hunchback. Alien. Spoiler alert. Alien, yes. Yes. <laughs> spoiler alert, they're all, they're all aliens. <laughs> if, you, if that's a spoiler for you, listener, if that's a spoiler, you should probably go watch yeah. Rocky Horror. <laughs> you need to, you need to get Rocky Horror out on video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's jump back to growing up. Uh, so you grew up in Wales. I spent my first nine or ten years in Wales, 
And then my family emigrated to New Zealand. I had a very strong Welsh accent. I spoke with a very strong Welsh yeah. accent until I was about 16 or 17, actually. Spoke like that. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah, I was a Welsh immigrant into New Zealand. And, yeah, I think my family came here because, well, my father is obsessed with rugby. And mm-hmm. um, I think he'd never we'd never been to New Zealand, but he moved his entire family here. And um, I just think my father thought in his mind that, well, he loves rugby, they love rugby, he'll fit in, which it did actually work out like that, he did. It's meant to be. Yep, I'm, I'm not a rugby fan myself, but uh, I have been to a lot of rugby matches as a result of my family. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so d- speaking of rugby, did you perform... <laughs> In Wales? <laughs> no. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Um, I didn't do any performing in Wales. I come from a completely non-performing family. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody nobody sings. Nobody acts. Uh, for instance, I've never heard my brother um, utter a note of song in his entire life. Never heard him at all. So I have no idea if he can sing or not. Mm-hmm. No idea. And he probably doesn't either. He has probably has no idea. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Maybe in a couple of years he could get into yeah. it. Uh, I, my brother is complete opposite of what I would classify as a performer. So I'd be very surprised. So, yeah. So uh, they came to New Zealand because basically I think they thought we'd have more opportunity here. And I I think, you know, you, ne- you never know. Do it sliding doors kind of thing. You, you never know if you can... If, you would have done the same thing if I'd stayed in Wales or if I would mm. have. But I think New Zealand did give me opportunities, gave me lots of opportunities, especially because I think in New Zealand um, is one of those countries where it's young enough that anybody can wake up and go, I want to be a politician or I want to be an actor or I want to be, you know, I want to start my own business doing blah, blah, blah. There's no one here that tells you, oh, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Whereas I think overseas, it's not so much like that. Like, you know, if, if some ra- random person goes, I want to be prime minister one day in the UK, people go, that's not going to happen. Mm. Whereas in New Zealand, yeah. you go, okay, well, yeah, maybe you will be prime minister one day. Yeah. Who knows? Like Jacinda was from a small town. Like Jacinda. Yeah. I just, I think it was always clear that I wanted to be an actor or a singer of some kind. Yeah. And you had teachers that kind of pushed you in that yeah, sort of I had teachers, teachers in high school who really encouraged me. And I, I uh, was living in Nelson and I went to a college called mm-hmm. Nayland College, um, which is a school that actually gives quite a lot of importance to um, performing. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, like lots of people from other schools would go there because of the shows that they would put on. The musical teacher there and the the person who used to put on the, the shows He'd done some professional stuff and the other one was an MD in sort of uh, amateur shows. And actually, they were both really amazing. And they, they actually set me up really well to, to do stuff. And in fact, the, the musical teacher there is the one who suggested I go to NASDA. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd, only, he'd only heard it on the radio about it the day before. He didn't know anything about it. He was like, maybe you should audition for that. And I, I think I heard, he told me that on the Friday... I think I auditioned on the Sunday and the course started on the Monday. So, um, 
<laughs> so yeah, so literally within three days, I'd gone from being in high school to um, being a full time student in a different city. <laughs> Especially when you think yeah. on the Thursday, I had no idea that that was going to be happening. So yeah, but, you know, I was always good at going with the flow. Was that in your in your final year of high school that you yeah. started NASDA? Yeah. So you were you were super young then. <laughs> uh, I was seventeen when I went to NASDA. I think it's different now, but wasn't the cutoff age twenty when you went? The cutoff age was twenty, and um, so by the time I graduated NASDA, I was basically still younger than the entry age. But <laughs> it, it served me really well because when I was seventeen, I looked like a young seventeen. So I suddenly filled a brief that was quite hard to cast at that time, which was I looked like a, someone in their mid-teens, but I was trained. I basically went straight from NASDAQ to the court theatre for quite a few years. And I basically fulfilled all those roles. I played a lot of children, <laughs> a lot of gender flipped roles as well that might, might have been played by a woman. Because, you know, sometimes if you have, say, for mm. instance, in Caesar and Cleopatra, there is a, a 12-year-old um, pharaoh king. It's normally played by a woman that, that when he's not playing the pharaoh, plays um, Eras, who's another woman. So um, normally sure. that, that would be played by a female role. But um, I fit the brief that I could play the I could play the boy and I could play the girl. So I played a lot of women yeah. as well. Very Shakespearean of you. Very Shakespearean. It's a bit like um, being, <laughs> you know, you get stereotyped into those roles and it's like people go, oh, wasn't it awful to be stereotyped? It's like, actually, it's a perfect thing for an actor to be stereotyped. Yeah. Because it means when pe- when a role comes up, they go, oh, I know exactly who can play that. Mm-hmm. Let's get him in to do that. Yeah. So um, it really worked to my advantage. And um, although uh, I went to... Nesda because I liked musical theatre. When I came out, I did no musical theatre. I uh, yeah. At the court, I uh, I think I might have been involved in in those early days. I'm not sure if I was involved in any musicals. There might have been like shows with the occasional song in them. Uh, certainly, they were mainly plays, mm-hmm. and that was actually the best training ground for me. I was so young at, at Nesda that I I'm not sure I really took in a lot of the stuff or I had a full comprehension of what they were teaching me. So when I joined the court, I felt like it was an apprenticeship for me. Mm. It was an apprenticeship of working with really experienced, skilled actors and directors. And um, I think the lessons I learned in those first three or four years of working where you would basically in those days you were doing um, it was more like a company in those days. So it's a lot of the same people in the shows and you'd be doing, you know, you'd be rehearsing a play during the day and you'd be doing a show at night time and then you just keep on crossing over and you have to do so many different roles and so many different shows over the course of a few years that yeah. it was such a good training ground. In fact, it was possibly the best training ground I possibly could have had and it set me up really well for my entire career to date. Even the way watching people like Eilish... Moran and uh, Yvonne Martin and those people and how they worked and how nice they were and how easy they were to work with. It set me up really well. And the artistic director in those days and actually one of the main acting tutors, one of the main acting tutors at NASDA was Elric Hooper, who had had um, quite a successful Mm -hmm. West End career. 
and um, he had yeah. he had been taught in a very traditional British theatrical way, and he really imparted that on the people who worked in that company. So even now, when I'm doing a a, a role, I hear his direction inside my head. So you know, if I have trouble saying a line or a line comes out wrong, I can hear him correcting me in my head. So it has served me really well. I find because I I live in the UK normally. And I find there, if you work in musical theatre, then they, ex- in general, they expect you just to do musical theatre. They don't expect you to do plays. So as a yeah. result, you get a lot of musical theatre people over there that would be terrified of doing a play or terrified of doing, you know, things that are outside the their comfort zone. But um, I find a lot of New Zealanders don't have that because they do do a little bit of radio, a little bit of TV. Um, they do. Yeah. They do a few plays along the way. They might do a musical. New Zealanders tend to be actor singers. In general, they're not known for being actor singer dancers, but they are out there, of course. I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm not an actor singer yeah. dancer. I'm an actor singer, move and fake it till you make it kind of person. You know, I wish. I wish I had uh, concentrated more on dance, but uh, the opportunity had come up for me in the early days. I think I was at one point. When I just left Nestor, I'd been doing a lot of dance classes and a lot of dance outside. Mm. And I think there was, uh, at one point, I was preparing to audition for the New Zealand School of Dance. Oh, wow. Then the court theatre started coming up and I was like, no, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. That's. And then it was just plays. <laughs> and then it was just plays. And then I forgot I stopped dancing altogether. And now I was like, I wish I'd carried on doing that because just a warning, it doesn't stay with you. <laughs> It mm-hmm. doesn't stay with you at all. So, uh, yeah, now it's like I've never done any dance in my life. Except for the time warp 1,800 times. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've done the time warp an awful <laughs> lot. Yeah, it's probably more than 1,800 times because we do it at least a couple of times in the show. So I've, I've probably, over the years, oh, yeah, I've probably true. done the time warp about 5,000 times. Who knows? It, it's, still, it's still possible to muck it up, though. It's still possible to muck anything up. I'm sure yeah. it is. <laughs> Lines, you know, you might have said that line 2,000 times, but it's still possible to get there and go, oh my gosh, I don't know where this line is. Just if, you, if your head's in somewhere else. It's just the human brain. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. it's not um, it's not a reliable thing. No. <laughs> just like Wi-Fi. <laughs> just like Wi-Fi. It's true. But I guess that's the joy of live theatre, that everything's slightly different every night, which is why people can come back to the theatre and and um, keep on seeing shows over and over and over. And with Rocky Horror, you know, sometimes you'll I'll meet someone, they'll go, oh, I'm coming, I've bought 40, 40 tickets this year. And you'll be like, yeah, yeah, what, you're coming to see Rocky Horror 40 times? And they'll be like, yep. And you'll see them in the UK, it's, you know, it's, it's playing different venues all over the country all the time. So quite often on a, on a Friday and Saturday night in the front rows, you'll see very familiar faces the whole way, wherever you are mm. in the country. So, um, and after a while, they actually become good friends because you, you actually, you know, you chat to them at stage door every week and, and, um, mm. but before you know it, you've known them for years. And they shout random things out. Oh yes. It's, and- it's part of, part <laughs> of the Rocky Horror joy is, um, the audience are as big a part of the show as the cast are. It's got a huge cult following that's been going for 47, 48 years now. And, um, you know, over that time, they've developed the shout outs and there's no other show like it where that's really happened. And Mm. um, there's really shout outs for nearly every line in the show. And some of them are the funniest lines in the show. They and they change all the time. They're not the same. 
Um, so you never know what's going to happen. It's like having a cast member where you never know what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that I think that's why it's part of the reason why I haven't got bored with the show doing it yeah. all those many times is because it's always different and and the audience are so into it. I've never known an audience for any show I've ever done that are so vocal and so loving it and so into it as I have with Rocky Horror. It's, yeah. It's quite... It's incredible. A, it's a bizarre, bizarre show. It was only meant to go on for three weeks. That's all it was mm-hmm. meant... That's what was meant to be its entire life was a three-week run in a 60 seat theater and mm. uh, it's kind of defied the rules and i, I kind of like yeah. things that's slightly rebellious and rocky horror is a rebellious show mm. have you talked to because you've met richard o'brien obviously have you have you talked to him about that about the uh, life that the show has had i'm sure i'm sure i have i'm sure he's probably confounded by it as well um mm. I, I toured with Richard quite a few times. We've done several different productions of Rocky Horror together um, because the uh, the Stacey tends to come in occasionally as the narrator, mm-hmm. which is, of course, an insanely special experience for any audience member that comes along yeah. and sees the person who wrote the show, who starred in the film, actually on stage yeah. in the show. I think, you know, it's it's an amazing experience, and obviously for the actors as well. Yeah, because totally. how, how often does that happen? That you're in a show with yeah. a, with a legend <laughs> from the show. Yeah, and it's still such a big part of the show, forty, fifty years on. Totally, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And New Zealand, New Zealand's very lucky to to have him here, as he's retired. You know, he's retired to the North Island here, so yeah, it's amazing. And you know, how many places have a you know have a riffraff statue? It's brilliant. Kiwi icon. Kiwi icon, yeah. Just uh, back to NASDA for a quick second. You, you've said that you're quite shy. Yes. In real life. Yes. Did NASDA help with that at all? or um, it, di- it didn't help or hinder because, you know, it didn't really change me as uh, in that side of my person. I, sure. I actually found that I think part of the thing that attracted me to acting was the chat was the fact that I could go on stage and be somebody else who didn't necessarily have the same rules as I did, didn't have the same yeah. hang-ups that I had. So, you know, I could go on stage and and not be the shy retiring person that I normally am. I think people kind of find it really hard to equate that an actor can be shy. You know, yeah. because because you can turn it on. You can turn it on and if you have to, you know, if you have to go and talk to a, a room full of people or you talk to... Or do a podcast. Or do a podcast. We all have our ways. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you can you can pretend to not be shy, but when it comes down to it, you know, if I'm at a social gathering with lots of people who I don't know, you know, I'm probably the quiet one in the corner who's going, please somebody talk to me. Uh, <laughs> but um, So I don't have to go out and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I surprise myself and I go, "Oh, I'm actually being quite sociable here." Because uh, I love, <laughs> I love being sociable. I love being sociable. I love yeah. being surrounded by people, and I love being surrounded by entertaining people, which is very convenient as an actor because you often are surrounded by very entertaining people who aren't shy and love being the life of the party. But mm-hmm. uh, I figured the best way to have a good time was to be surrounded by those people because I'm not that person. <laughs> yeah. 
So, just the I mean, the brain gets in the way sometimes. Totally, yeah. That goddamn yeah. brain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I even think about it. It's just one of those things that is. But um, yeah, yeah. But that's why, you know, walking in other people's shoes—that's acting, isn't it? You know, literally, you're walking in other people's shoes. But you're um, when you get to mm-hmm. walk in other people's shoes and experience life through other people's eyes, then. You, um, you know, you see the world. I think I'm a really open-minded person and um, open-minded to all sorts of people and, and experiences. And that's one of the reasons I love being an actor because it, it does enable you to do mm. that. So, you know, I'm, I know exactly what it's like to live as a hunchback from, uh, you know, a haunted castle and uh, be an alien. So Exactly. <laughs> The joys of acting. <laughs> the joys of acting. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, open-mindedness, a question that I like to ask people is, what is your dream miscast role? So a role that you would never be cast as, like maybe a, well, you said that you've played female roles before, but you know, I have, maybe a... Yeah. It's, I was thinking about this and it was such a struggle for me to come up with anything because... I was like, oh, there's some. Well, actually, these days now, I would never get cast in a play because people have forgotten that mm-hmm. that's my experience. They just got, especially in the UK, it's a musical theatre thing. So any play, I'd be like, please give me a play. I've been in London for yeah, years, sure. never had one audition for a play. So, wow. um, yeah, I would love to do some Shakespeare. Yeah, I'd love to do a serious, a serious kind of gritty kind of play. Um, mm. And that could be anything. Yes. You've heard it here first. Put Christian Leverkum in a play. Pass <laughs> me in a play. And actually, you know, uh, it's part of the reason I'm loving doing Jersey Boys at the moment is because as musicals go, it's a really gritty play with music. Mm. And yeah. um, for that reason, I really adore it. I really adore it. And when I, when I think of musicals that I want to be in, they're always uh, gritty actor musicals. Mm. Yeah, those are the ones I want to be part in. Either that or really sort of, you know, fantastical kind of futuristic musicals or something that's so fantasy-based that uh, I'm not really a Disney kind of guy, but certainly, um, you know, I would love, I keep on saying this over the years, I would love for them to make a, I mean, I know there's a ballet of it, but I would love for them to make a musical of Edward Scissorhands. That would be my dream role. Mm -hmm. I would love to play Edward Scissorhands in a musical. There's a ballet of it, but not a musical. Which is crazy because that would be a great musical. It would be a great musical. I mean, you would have to have yeah. Danny Elfman, who did the music for Edward Scissorhands, the movie. You would, he would have to be, you know, control of the music. But come on, they're missing an opportunity here. Yeah. I also, I also kind of think, although I want to play the kind of you know the evil roles, I want to play the the weird, unusual. <laughs> Misfit, uh, that's who I want to play. So, so riffraff. <laughs> uh, it is riffraff, yeah. But you know, I'm I'm very <laughs> pleased that Christopher Luscom, who directs um, Rocky Horror, I'm very thankful that he saw in me that um, I could play that role. Because if I walk into a an audition room, I don't think I'm the automatic person you would go. Oh, there's a riffraff. So mm. I'm really glad that he saw that in me because I it was the last role I was expecting to audition for. Yeah, and sp- speaking of that audition, I think you've said before you didn't know, really know that you could sing high. 
No, sing those I, I, I think of myself as a as a light baritone, and anything above a G, uh, in my chest range, mm. I would normally go, "Oh my god, I can't believe I have to sing over that." It's like what and I'd go into panic mode, going, "I have to sing. I can't sing up there." Uh, so if I if I had to sing like you mm-hmm. know one A in a show, I'd be like, "Oh god." Whereas, you know, other people, other friends I've got who are sort of true tenors, they'd be like, oh, yeah, and, blah, and they can just come out with it. And it seems so mm. easy. And I'm like, mm, it's not easy for me. And is, it, is that still your feeling? Because, you know, you've now played Riff Riff a lot and now you're now playing Frankie Valley. <laughs> nah, and, and the only other role I've played in the last few years in between was, was Jesus and Jesus Christ Superstar. Exactly. <laughs> now people only want to cast me singing, in, singing the highest musical theatre roles that exist. That's all they want to do. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I've learned to live with it and I've learned that I don't know whether I was just a lazy. Maybe, so what's your mm. classification? I'm a lazy tenor. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I, I, might, I, have a, that's I, do it. Have an, I do have an unusual voice. I have an unusual singing voice. I've always had an unusual singing voice. I don't think it's necessarily the most pleasant of voices, but certainly, <laughs> um, certainly it stands out from the crowd. And I do, I do now seem to be able to sing very high, um, but it's not necessarily... Um, well, I personally don't think it's very pretty, but um, it seems yeah. to it seems to work for um, for certain roles. I think it I think it work it definitely works for Frankie Valley because he was a character voice himself, really. Yeah, true. And you know, same same for Riff Raff. And of course, everyone knows that Jesus was a character voice. <laughs> totally. I mean, <laughs> of course, of course, he had a character voice. Well, he certainly had a character voice in in the seventies. <laughs> was so great for for rock and it's amazing that andrew lord webber wrote jesus christ superstar i just it just because he hasn't he doesn't really write in that style anymore not remotely but yeah like some of phantom the, some cats of the, and then jesus yeah, christ superstar <laughs> you know starlet express this there's such mm. even even school of school of rock i mean the songs in jesus christ superstar are so authentically rock god kind of songs that mm. um yeah, they're just, I think it's one of the best musical scores ever. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. in the Court Theatre production. Oh, it was were very you? fun. Yes. Oh, great. Which is how I know everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, come, it comes up a lot in conversation in the dressing room at the moment. Mm. It, was, it was a very different kind of show, kind of uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Well, I actually find all productions of Jesus Christ Superstar are quite different because it seems to have reached the mm. realm of Shakespeare where people set it in a different time and place every single time it's done. So yeah. there's not many yeah. shows you can do that with, but Jesus Christ Superstar is the Shakespeare of uh, musical theatre because, you know, yeah. I've seen it set in so many, I've seen it set authentically in, in the time. I've seen it set in the future. I've seen it set in the 90s. I've seen it set, you know, in so many different places you know jesus can suddenly be mm. a you know a singer in a rock band you know I, they keep on changing it up and i i think it's actually it's fun when musicals reach that stage of you know we're going to put our own interpretation on it yeah and it's it's fascinating because it's like it's literally the definition of a period piece like it's the the period yeah. of this one man's life but yeah. <laughs> it can be set in so many different ways yeah 
Yeah, totally. Mm. He he must be he must be dream dreaming over that as well. Andrew Lewis must be going. How amazing that that's still going. I know. And same yeah. with Richard O'Brien. Back to um. <laughs> yes. That was that was the Jesus Christ superstar portion of this uh, episode. Yep. Well, Richard, <laughs> Richard O'Brien did start out in Jesus Christ Superstar. He was in one of the, he was in the West End production. Might have even got famously got fired from it. Yeah, and then he was in Hair, and then and then that led on a lot of the people, who, a lot of the people who were in Hair and Jesus Christ Superstar with him. Um, he ended up being in Rocky Horror. I think that's why you might have met Tim Curry and all those guys. So, so it is there is a connection to Jesus Christ Superstar and Hair. There is, and when when I finally get that interview with Richard, I'll mine that <laughs> mine that connection. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so speaking of, obviously, um, Rocky, we've said that you've done over 1,800 performances. Or Do, do you know yeah. the exact number? That's a question that I it, have. It, it's, actu- it's actually about 1,792 or something. It's literally about several performances of 1,800. They're not, they're not all of Riff Raff. Um, there's about 100 in yeah. there playing other characters. Because that's where you started, right? You, yeah, I, I did a couple you of productions. Frank. I did a produ- uh, production from Nelson Arts Festival as Frank and Furter. That was the first time I played it. And then uh, four months at the Court Theatre doing Brad Majors. Mm. And then I uh, did a production uh, for Invercargill Musical Theatre, like a pro-am production, where they got me down to do Frank and Furter again. And then after that's when I auditioned for... Well, actually, it was it was an Australasian tour, and they with an Australian cast, but they auditioned in Auckland. So I I got into mm. this whole riff raff thing from Auckland of all places. Mm. And um, did but, you fly up for the audition? Or? No, I just happened to be there, and I actually only heard about right. it on Facebook. I heard it on Facebook. A friend of mine was going, "Oh, going along to the Rocky Horror audition in the morning." I was like. What Rocky yeah. Horror Audition? And because because I'd done it a few <laughs> times before, I was like, "How come I haven't heard about this?" So, um, mm. but I so I basically made a few calls and basically just turned up. But I had um, a Shorten Street audition the the same time it was meant to be, um, and I was <laughs> that like, "Well, been a very different career, <laughs> a very different career." But it was only for like a one episode character in Shorten Street. Yeah, I'd already set that audition up, and I was like, "Oh well, if." That goes quickly, then I'll go to the Rocky Horror Audition. And it did go really quickly. So I turned up to mm-hmm. the Rocky Horror Audition and I went in and was like, I'm so, well, I actually planned on going, look, I've only just heard about this audition. I'm I'm unprepared. I've got a song here, but it's totally inappropriate for Rocky Horror. But I have been in the show before. I can sing anything from the show. And I had planned on saying anything apart from Riff Raff. I'd actually practiced saying that. Anything apart from Riff Raff. Yeah. I thought it was too high for me. <laughs> but I went, don't be negative, Christian. And uh, so I didn't say that. And then the first thing yeah. the first thing he said to me, the director was like, okay, well, I'll get you to sing Riff Raff. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And it came out very high, belting out high Bs. And uh, yeah. yeah, and I got the job. And uh, then I was like, oh, my God, well, that's only going to last a couple of weeks, isn't it, before my voice goes? And then... Uh, yeah, just a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. And then... <laughs> Ten years later, mm-hmm. you do you do have the world record for the most performances of Rocky. Have you been approached by Guinness yet? Well, you actually got to pay to get the Guinness record. You you've got you yourself have got to pay <laughs> to get the record. And um, great. 
I'm not. I don't think I'm necessarily finished yet. Yeah, you got to hit the two thousand mark before you. Yeah, well, I actually think I will approach Guinness perhaps when uh, I think. Well, that's the last play time I'm ever going to play that role, and I, I'm not sure I'm completely mm-hmm. done with it yet. You never know what happens in the future. You know, most roles after you've played for ten years, you'd be like, "Oh well, I'm too old to play that role now," but I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. Riff Raff is a kind of ageless character within reason. Yeah. I feel like I could still play the role for quite a few years if the opportunity arose. And it shall, I'm sure. It might very <laughs> well possibly. Who knows? I never take any I never take anything for granted. And people often ask me whenever the tour is a tour is announced, they go, Are you doing it? Are you doing it? And I'm like, I hope so. Like like surely you just have to say mm. yes, you're doing it, but no, it doesn't work like doesn't work like that. There's lots of contributing factors and, yeah. um, you know, actors aren't the ones who decide if they're going to do things. Actors are the ones who decide after someone else decides if they want them to be in it or not. It's very rare for an actor to choose to go, what, what roles do you, would you like to do in the future? Whatever roles <laughs> people give me the opportunity to do. Uh, I love any role I'm yeah. doing. I actually love, I actually love the work it's not necessarily the role I'm enamored mm. by. It's like I really enjoy working. I don't even have to be doing um, a lead role. Some of the most favorite roles I've ever done have been really tiny cameos and things. In the old days of the court, I was in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead where I played Alfred who has one line, does feature a lot yeah. more than that one line. But I had <laughs> such a brilliant time playing that role. It was one of my... F- I have such fond memories of it. And one, I always get a little bit nervous before I go on stage, always. Even after 1,800 performances of Riff Raff, I still get nervous before I go on. And yeah. um, Alfred, because he only had one line, I didn't get nervous at all. And It was the dream. It was a dream. You could just walk on and just, you know, be there and be in the show. And, and I absolutely adored it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> What was the line? Do you remember? I have no idea. No, no idea what it was. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I have a memory overflow. So as soon as things go in, other things just flow out the top and I never think of them ever again. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the things when you have to sort of memorize lots of, lots of things. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. an overflow, an overflow system to keep it all in there or keep the, the relevant again, stuff in there. Again, damn brain. Yeah. <laughs> So on Rocky for one more second, you played obviously Riff Raff in the live streamed version, which I watched, which was amazing, which was streamed live to heaps of people. <laughs> a lot of people actually, like, um, I'm not really sure how much I, I know on, when it got, cause it got streamed live to cinemas and it was the highest grossing um, cinema release on that day. I know it's not it's not a proper movie, so he doesn't. But on that day, more people watched that than any other film in Europe. Yeah. So I think that was an achievement. And then it went to um, it aired on BBC America. I was amazed by how many people had watched it on that, and it did. It, I think it aired on the UK on television as well. But even on YouTube, mm. some of the it gets it's on YouTube, but it gets taken down every every couple of years. But you know the mm. the. They get up there really quickly. Like suddenly you'll go, oh, let's have a look at the time up. And you're like, oh, look, it's got a million views. And then and then it'll get taken yeah. down and then you'll have to build back up again. And then, you know, a couple of years down the track, it's got another million views. And you go, there's a lot of people watching. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but that's that's the that's the internet for you, isn't it? It is. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, <laughs> lot of people out there. Well, it's really because uh, I I had only seen the movie beforehand before watching that one, so it was re- it's really cool to see the differences in the between the movie yeah. and the stage show. Uh, obviously, this yeah. uh, they had about five different narrators in that one. <laughs> Normally, there's just one narrator <laughs> yeah. that goes through, but you know, yeah. they were doing that for the occasion, um, which was um, including Richard, Richard, and and Stephen Fry and. Emma Bunton and and yeah, there were lots of um, interesting people backstage. And backstage was you know was the playhouse is in the West End, and the playhouse is some of those theaters are very old and they're very small backstage. So you know, being crammed into the all these dressing rooms with all these insanely amazing famous people was was really bizarre. <laughs> it's very bizarre. Yeah, yeah, and those a lot of those West End theaters they are. Overrun with mice. I mean, they're just like, you know, you'd be at your dressing room table and, you know, there'll be about eight of you crammed into a dressing room and there'll be like the girls' dressing room will be next door and there'll be screams and you're like, what are they screaming? And then suddenly a mouse runs across your foot and, you know, it's just... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not exactly what you envisage. Not the glamour that you might think of when you think no. of the West End. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. They're... I kind of, I kind of like that kind of slightly worn facade of things that have had a life. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned that you are playing Frankie Valley in Jersey Boys at yes. the Court Theatre. Yes. We've also mentioned that you did shows at the Court Theatre um, when you were starting out. So what's it been like to come back to the Court? Obviously, it's a different building. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different building. It's a different time. Christchurch has been through an awful lot since I last worked here. Mm-hmm. My brain still thinks of Christchurch as the old Christchurch, and it hasn't quite g- yeah. got around the fact that all those places I lived in don't exist anymore, and all the places yeah. the my well a lot of the familiar face places that I used to go don't exist, and some of the theatres. So I've held the court theatre up on this pedestal for many years because you know you look at things through road rose coloured glasses of this really formative yeah. time in my life I had at the court. So coming back here, I was like, oh, I, I hope it's not a bad experience. And it hasn't been. It's been absolutely amazing. Like, uh, it's in a different building, yeah. but because this, the, the theatre is set up in a kind of similar way and the back, it's one of the only theatres left, like, it's like a producing theatre that, you know, it has the the wardrobe and the um, production staff and the set people and, you know, the actors, they're all under the one roof. And there's, so, there's such an immediacy yeah. of of working on a show where everyone is in the same building, being creative on their, in their different um, areas. And I think that is brilliant. I think that is amazing. And that's how I remember the court. And so the heart of it is still there and this. It's been many years, but there's still some of the same f- familiar faces wandering around. So it, ha- I do feel like I've come, in many ways, I've come home. It's exactly how I envisaged it was mm. going to be. So um, I feel very, very lucky, thanks to COVID, that I happen to have been in New Zealand. <laughs> and and because um, I just happened to be here by accident visiting my family on a break when yeah. COVID happened. So um I feel very lucky that I've got the opportunity to actually come back here and um, 
and do this. And I, I really hope that um, now that I've broken the seal of that, then um, yeah. I would love to think that I could come back and and do some more stuff at the Court Theatre. And I think yeah. we, I think Christchurch is very lucky to have it because it it's a world-class establishment. You know, I've been around the world and seen lots of different theatres yes. and worked in lots of different theatres, and the Court Theatre is, is world-class. And I think Christchurch audiences really need to um, support it in every way possible. And especially with that directing and musical directing combo of Stephen Robertson and Richard Merritt. Like, yes. Yes. They are also world class, totally. Yeah, directors and musical directors. Yes, yeah, I agree. So did they did they approach you for the role, or did you do audition? Um, I've worked with Richard quite a few times on musicals when I was at the court, mm-hmm. and um, I had worked with Stephen once before, um, playing Mary Sunshine in Chicago. Yeah, and uh, I think because of social media, they must have realised that I was in New Zealand, like a lot of other performers mm. um, yeah, uh, from overseas, just, you know, sort of came back at that time. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think they realized I was around and I think Stephen was aware that I could sing high because of Mary Sunshine. Yeah, so I got an email asking me um, if I was interested. And by coincidence, they didn't ask me for this, but by coincidence... I had done an audition video for Jersey Boys in the UK um, maybe about two years ago and hmm. turned out I, I wasn't, um, I got callback for it, but I wasn't available to go to the callback. So I'd made this audition video. Um, so I just had that. I was like, oh, well, I can just send you this. And so I could, so they could actually yeah. see that I was, I was singing Frankie Valley songs. So yeah. I just had that up my sleeve. And I think that probably really helped. Because hmm. it's so high and so um you know up there in the up there in the rafters how has it been on your voice and well um it's it's actually been one of the most challenging learns of any any mm. musical i've ever done one because there are so many songs in it even when they just touch on a song there's something like 34 songs in it they don't they don't yeah. play the whole song of course um yeah. but otherwise we'd be there for hours and hours but um <laughs> Yeah, so I have a lot of songs to learn. So lockdown really helped in preparing for that because it means I could just yeah. concentrate on learning them. I never take my voice for granted. I, I'm always, I'm what I call mm. a paranoid singer, you know, drinking copious amounts yeah. of water, steaming my voice twice a day, you know, doing everything possible for it, um, you know, trying to avoid any hay fever and uh, <laughs> and stuff like that, which Christchurch is the garden city and seems to be a lot of hay fever yeah. here. <laughs> I am I am used to putting out eight shows a week, doing riff raff, which is a very yeah. challenging thing, under uh, difficult circumstances. Because in the UK, you're constantly touring, you're constantly tied, you're always in, you're in a different hotel or or accommodation every week. You you know you're in a different theatre where the acoustics are different every week. So I have to live like a monk, but it's um, <laughs> it's basically I think it's it's absolutely fine. Yeah. Yeah, but you know the the court theatre have done something brilliant this time, where you know they've got the understudies for the roles. Yeah. So, and I I'm a huge have huge respect for any understudies because they are, um, you know, they put in all the work that you have to put in, 
And they have extra duties, you know, that they're doing in the theatre as well themselves. Yeah. And yet they might never get on, but also they might mm. get on. And, you know, the court theatre is yeah. covered just in case because normally on the West End or something, like if you're playing Frankie Valley, you wouldn't play the matinees. Um, you'd have alternates. Yeah. Would go on because, you know, it is very challenging, challenging thing to be able to sing because Frankie Valley was a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think anyone is normally used to singing up there. Even if you sing high, you're not used to singing up yeah. there all the time for song after song after song after song. And um, yeah. it's uh, it's been challenging, but it's been an amazing learning experience of learning what um, a different area of um, vocal capability that I didn't know I had. Yeah, so it's been a it's been a really interesting experience, and I hope it means now I got oh you know I've got less barriers of what I can and cannot sing. Yeah. Ironically, I don't even think of myself as a singer. <laughs> I, I think maybe because of those maybe because of those those acting days. Like I'd been with my agent for year yeah. for years before. He was like, "We've got an audition come up, and they want you to sing." He's like. Do you think you can sing at the, this audition? Do you think you can sing? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I can, yeah, I can sing. But I, I realized after years, I was like, I haven't even told them I'm a singer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, sometimes I, you know, I have that whole thing. You know, I don't normally do concerts, or um, you know, a lot of act, a lot of singers. They go, oh, I'm going to do a cabaret concert. I'm going to do this concert. or I'm going to sing with this thing. I have done a few of those, but I always feel like a fraud. I was really mm. fraud. I'm like, I'm just not, I don't think, my brain doesn't equate that I'm actually a singer. It goes, I'm an actor who can sing. Uh, whenever I'm just billed as a singer and as myself, it's different if I'm in a character, but as myself, I'm like, not a singer. Totally. Yeah, it's it's completely different going on yeah. and singing as a character than going on as yourself and doing a concert as yourself. It's like, totally is. Nope. And I, know it's, I know it's only a, f- a flick of a switch in the mind, but I, I some, don't seem to be able to flick that switch. I know it's. I know in theory it's ex- you're doing exactly the same thing. The human brain is mm. a very weird thing, as we've established. Or maybe I'm just weird. Maybe you're just weird. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Maybe both. Maybe both. <laughs> well, I think it's better to be weird, isn't it, than completely boring? Absolutely. <laughs> so I've heard this question. I've heard people ask you this question of uh, what's your favorite role that you've played, and I love your answer to it. You say that. Every character that you play is your friend. You, you connect with every character, so it's hard to, you know, pick one. Yeah. And I just think that's great advice for people to be able to connect with their character and to empathize with their character. Because th- I think you have to do that. You do, yeah. In order to play anyone. Yeah. I, I think most that, because, you know, sometimes in, in theater you have to play roles. You know, you might have to play someone who's really horrible, but you've got to try and see... You've got to try and empathize with them in some way and, and um, kind of figure out why they, why they think like that. And you, there's, there's, yeah. a, there's always a route of doing that. There's always a way of finding empathy for your character um, because no one, is, no one is completely evil and no mm-hmm. one is completely nice. Yeah, and I think that adds more, it adds more layers to the character. You've still got to say the same lines and, and do the same things, but, you know, the more layers you add onto a character is better. So, you know, you've got, you've got to, if you're living with a character the whole time, you can't, you can't hate that character, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you can't judge them. 
No, you can't judge them. No, you've got to you've got to completely yeah. non-judge them. I mean, you can you can judge them in your own time, but when you're playing it, you cannot judge them. <laughs> so I like talking to people about their other interests of other than you know their main job. You know, you've got photography and painting and what is my question? I don't know. Well, I probably class myself. You like things. <laughs> yeah, I I I'm most happy when I'm creating something. I actually, you know, I yeah. don't even need to. I've discovered over the years, it wouldn't wouldn't make any difference even if I wasn't an actor, as long as I was creating something. I get my joy from making something, mm. and um, for me, that could be, you know, it could be making a prop, or or you know, making an item of clothing, or painting something, or drawing something, or photographing something. It's hard when you're on the road all the time to. You know, be able to have any hobbies and um, because, you know, you're yeah. just you're living out of a suitcase. So what can you do these days? So I I cons- I decided I'm going to get into photography. So I went and studied. I had a break from Rocky and I, I had a, I went and studied at the London Institute of Photography and uh, did an intensive course there for about four or five months. Yeah. So I decided to get more into photography and Last year, I was really concentrating on fo- on photographing theatres around the UK. I think I photographed about fifty theatres mm. around the UK, and um, yeah, I get lots of joy out of it. And and then you know, I I end up doing lots of transformation photos as well. I turn myself into other people, you know, because I'm just using whatever's around me to um, to be creative, and that's what I have mm. around me. Is I have. A table of makeup, and uh, you know, I have a theater, and I, you know, so that's what I end up doing. But I'm op- pretty yeah. much op- open to to anything, <laughs> anything creative. I'm like, because you actually designed the makeup for Riff Raff, eh? Uh, yeah, yeah, and I actually change it every production slightly, and nobody tells yeah. me not to, so I just do it. <laughs> and uh, I think it's because I've been doing it so long now. They must, they must think, oh, he knows what he's doing. And actually, I, 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 yeah. I do know what I'm doing. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to turn Riff Raff into something that I don't think he's not. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I went through a stage of really aging him up every every time I did a different production. I he would get slightly slightly older and slightly older, and then and then at one point I realized, oh, actually, he's too old now. <laughs> so I, I started hmm. making him younger <laughs> again. So yeah, um, yeah he, he does change, and actually, it really helps when I'm looking back on photos. I go, oh, that was that production, or that was when I played it in Australia or that was when it was in the mm. UK because I, I recognised the different makeup. And I'll, quite often, you know, I'll be so detailed with the makeup that, you know, the audience won't remotely see that I've changed the makeup. But it's for me. Yeah. It's for me more than them. For you when you look in the mirror and see Riff Raff. For me when I look in the mirror, yeah, and I see, and I, I see Riff Raff staring back. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I, like even on the skin, I paint tiny little tiny sort of, you know, broken capillaries and veins in my face and i mean even the actor opposite me is probably going to struggle to see that under the bright lights yeah so um but i i do it for me keeps keeps me stimulated and occupied and and uh, actually the process of of getting into that makeup helps me get into character and chills me out yeah chills out the nerves a bit yeah totally a bit (laughs) a bit I think one of the main things they should teach all student actors is, and I don't know if they, I don't, I don't know if they teach this at places like Nestor or any other acting schools. They just need to teach actors how to deal with nerves more, because um, mm-hmm. uh, I've seen some actors 
brilliant actors get destroyed by nerves. Yeah. It should be something that's really focused on to, to be able to combat that because, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves. It's, it's not like you're working in a bank or, um, you know, and if you make a mistake, so, you know, your boss, your boss knows or, you know, the customer knows. If you make a mistake in musical theatre, then you've got hundreds, potentially thousands of people watching you and that puts pressure on or if you're going to an audition it's a five minute audition and it could be for a year's contract and so there's so much pressure yeah. on those things that um, dealing with that is um, we put too much pressure on ourselves to be to be perfect the whole time and um, I certainly it certainly would have helped me if I'd had a better um, understanding of how to deal with that yeah they should teach nerves and they should teach the business side of things most definitely <laughs> tax yeah. Teach tax. Uh-huh. Yeah. Teach tax. Please. <laughs> yeah. Teach me tax. Yeah. How to remain healthy when you haven't had a kitchen for the last six months. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. When you're living out of a suitcase. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so I guess wrapping things up, because I've been going for an hour and 20 minutes. This podcast is called Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams, based around performing as a kiwi um and so my question to you is what is your kiwi dream um my kiwi dream is really to keep on being creative and keep on working as a creative you know i i just don't take that work for granted ever i i tend to always think that my the job i'm in might necessarily be the last job i ever get Cause I go, what if I don't? What if I don't get cast in anything ever again? So, um, <laughs> yeah. So I I totally appreciate the the position I'm currently in, and I hope that it continues. So I would love to keep on being stimulated by my work. I I currently am, so I'm very thankful of that. Yeah. And I'd love to do more shows in New Zealand. New Zealand is such a mm-hmm. a wonderful place. And the people here are, everyone's lovely to work with. You know, everyone's relatable. You can sort of, you know, really, I understand everybody. I understand what wavelength everybody's on. So I I would love that. I just want, I want a versatile career where I get to do lots of different things. Long may that last and hopefully that continues to happen. And hopefully pay riffraff again. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I I have confidence (laughs) that will happen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christian, for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. And thank you to everyone for listening. And we'll talk to you next time with another amazing guest. Bye. Bye. Amazing. Great. Thank you. Wow. What an awesome episode. Christian's just such a genuine human being. Like, even with... 1800 performances over 1800 performances now of the rocky horror show and being essentially world famous he's he's just so down to earth and obviously with him being the riffraff you know he obviously gets interviewed a lot and i try to kind of find questions and ask questions and and get somewhere that he maybe hasn't hasn't gone before and i think I think we ended up doing that. So if you want to see more of Christian, head over to at Christian Lavacum on Instagram. 
He puts a lot of fun stuff on there, including the theatre photography that we talked about, along with backstage antics at, at Rocky Horror and uh, lots more stuff like that. So head on over there, and while you're there, why not follow the podcast at Kiwi Dreams Pod? We post snippets of all the episodes over there, so you know if you don't have time for the full thing, you can watch the snippets. You can also follow us at Kiwi Dreams Pod again on Facebook and Twitter, as well as our website, kiwidreamspodcast.com. Also, if you'd like to support the show financially, head over to patreon.com forward slash kiwidreamspodcast. I hope you have a great day, and I'll talk at you next time on Broadway and other Kiwi Dreams. Kiwi Dreams.